Well, can I say Merry Christmas, Bethel Church? You guys comfortable? Really? <laughs> uh, I, I do. I want to sincerely wish you a Merry Christmas, and I want to tell you, too, that I love you guys, and it is a privilege to be here with you tonight, and it's a privilege to serve as one of your pastors here at the church. Uh, if you're new here, if you're visiting, my name is Eric Johns, and I'm privileged to be the senior pastor here, and uh, I love this church. It is our, not just our church family, but you all have become our family, and uh, we thank you for that. Uh, and I think more, for me personally, more than uh, a Christmas meal or a tree or presents or Christmas lights, as beautiful and wonderful as all those things are, gathering together this evening as the family of God, as the church and the body of Christ, this really is uh, the pinnacle of Christmas for me. Uh, we just go downhill from here, <laughs> in my mind. Um, this is the time when we gather together as the church family to really rehearse the gospel, the part of the story, understanding that we know we are under the curse of sin. That is the default position of mankind. But God in his grace and his mercy didn't leave us in that position, but he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to take our place on the cross, to die for our sins, that that curse might be lifted. And we do that lots of ways tonight. We've already done it through story. Kim, thank you very much, wherever you've disappeared to, uh, for telling the story to us and to the kids. Uh, we do it, of course, through song. We've already sung many songs. Uh, we do it through the spoken word. I'm going to, to speak for just a few minutes tonight, just so brace yourself if you're getting that fight or flight reflex kicking in here. And, uh, and then we also do it with a powerful symbol tonight, and that is the symbol of light or flame, as some of you pyromaniacs would call it, your friend the flame. And I know that's why most of you are here tonight, because you want to see if we can get through a candle lighting service without lighting the whole place up. So we're going to do our best. Um, I brought something this evening, actually I just brought it down from my office. Um, I have this very old book, and I don't know if you can see it from where you are, maybe if you squint carefully, um, and if you want to see it afterwards, I'll let you look at it, but if you all want to touch it, that wouldn't be good. But this is an old, beautiful book that I found um, just outside of London in a little village called Petersfield, and uh, there's this great old bookshop there. And so this is a beautiful leather-bound, um, old copy of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow Poetry. Uh, and like I said, it is, it's very old. The, um, the date and the beginning is here in the front. It was printed in 1871. So this is an, this is an old book. Um, you know, as old as, older than most of you anyways. Some of you <laughs> might be a little older than that. But uh, Longfellow wrote a very famous poem that you might have heard before called, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And tonight I want, I'm going to read that to you in just a moment, but I want to tell you the back story behind it, because you may or may not know that. Henry and his wife, who had a very unfortunate name, Fanny, Henry and Fanny together had six children. And uh, so you're already feeling sorry for them. She's got an unfortunate name. They've got six kids. Imagine coming to a candlelight service with six kids. I know some of you are doing it right now. <laughs> Courage to you and to your neighbors. Um, but they had six children together. And unfortunately, one of them died in, uh, at infancy. And so there was this tragic loss early in, in their family history. And then in 1861... Uh, 
Fanny herself died in a very tragic accident. Uh, somehow, in fact, as the story goes, Henry was sleeping, and Fanny's dress caught on fire, and she was essentially uh, burned up. And Henry woke up from his nap to see this going on and quickly grabbed a blanket and jumped on top of her and tried to, tried to put her out and uh, himself suffered some severe burns on his face. And unfortunately, she died uh, the next day. And it was a terrible, terrible tragedy. Uh, and then on top of that, December 1st, 1863, two years after that loss, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow received the telegram from uh, the War Department, basically saying that his oldest son, Charlie, had been seriously injured uh, in a Civil War battle and would likely be paralyzed. And so all of this is sort of upon him at Christmas time. The beginning of December, these are the things going through his mind as one tragedy caused him to rehearse the tragedy that had come before it in his mind. And so on Christmas Day in 1863, Longfellow, who at this point is 57 years old, he's widowed and a, father, a widow and a father of six, the oldest of which has just likely been paralyzed, and he's watching his country at war with itself. And so he tries to write this poem in, in a way to capture the dissonance in his own heart as he is observing the world around him. Uh, and what he is hearing in the background are the Christmas bells from the various churches. And he's hearing this phrase, people singing, peace on earth, which is taken right out of Luke's gospel. And so as he's looking around, observing this world of injustice and violence and war and conflict and thinking about his own loss, he's trying to write something that captures that tension in his own heart. And so as he listens to the faithful ringing of these church bells, he actually, in an unlikely way, finds hope that carries him through. And with that, I want to read the poem. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south. And with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. In the midst of his despair, hearing the faithful ringing of the bells and knowing the message behind them and knowing the hope that they were proclaiming to this town, he could yet find in himself hope that God was not dead and that peace was possible through what God has done in his own son, Jesus Christ. 
And so tonight we come together. We don't have Christmas bells to ring, to uh, ring out that message. But one thing that we do faithfully each year is we rehearse the gospel story with the lighting of some candles. We do this with the Advent wreath and telling the story of Christ's coming. And for me, there is something about the tradition of doing that. There is something about the faithful ringing of gospel truth. Whether it's in bells that are being heard throughout a community, or whether it's through the visual of the light of Christ being passed on from here to all of these people. And so as we do this, I want you to have in your mind the words of the prophet Isaiah, who over 700 years before the coming of Christ wrote these words, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. We know that this darkness began very early on. As as the scriptures tell us in the garden. That's where mankind rebelled. And darkness descended on this earth. And the guilt of sin and the consequences of sin were immediately within mankind. Destroying and disintegrating everything that God had made. But almost immediately in Genesis, in chapter 3, we are given hope. We're given the prophecy of one who would come, one who would crush the serpent's rebellion. And so we're going to light the candles and and begin spreading this uh, to each of you here. And I want to give you some instructions before we get into this. Actually, I tell you what, I'll light the candles first and then I'll tell you what to do. How about that? The first candle we light is the prophecy candle, which reminds us that God wanted us to know his plan. He wanted us to know that though this is a dark world and though sin has entered into it, he was not going to leave this world to be destroyed by sin. He gives us hope, even in the beginning of Genesis, to tell us that one would come who would crush the serpent's rebellion. The next candle we light is the Bethlehem candle. In the Bethlehem candle, we remember the prophet Micah who tells us that the Savior would be born in the little town of Bethlehem. And it's not just the smallness of the town that makes it significant, but it's rather the pedigree of one who would be born in the city of David. It would be one who would have the right to rule and reign. He would be a king of the kingly line of David. And so Bethlehem reminds us not just that he came to a small place, but he came to be king and to reign and to rule forever. The next candle is the shepherd's candle. And here we are reminded that the gospel, when it was first proclaimed, the angels coming and telling the shepherds. Shepherds, as Pastor Keith reminded us a couple weeks ago, were not the uh, outstanding figures in society. They weren't the folks that you would uh, name drop, that you were friends with. They were on the margins of society. They couldn't participate in elections or, or go into the courthouses. They were dirty. They were in disrepute. They were out in the countryside. So the fact that the gospel was first announced, the arrival of Christ first announced to the shepherds, lets us know that not only was he a king to reign forever, but he could be a king for everyone who would bow the knee and receive him as such. The next candle that we light is the angel candle.
Angels are a fearsome creature, a fearsome being. If we were to see an angel, we would be strongly tempted to worship it. Angels immediately struck fear into people's minds and hearts when they saw them, which is why one of the first things they almost always say is, don't be afraid, for we have good news to bring. God sent his angels to announce in such a way that people would not miss the good news of Jesus Christ and his birth and his coming to be the Savior of the world. All of these candles, all of scripture, and all of human history point to one central figure, and that is Jesus Christ. The hope that we have, the hope of eternity, the hope of peace on earth and goodwill to men centers on Jesus Christ and our faith in him. And so now we get to light. We've been waiting for weeks. The Christ candle. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your grace and your mercy in your son Jesus. As we look around the room and see the lights and radiating off of one another's faces. We rejoice that you've brought us together as a family of God because you have forgiven sin and made us yours. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.